right. Uh, let's go ahead and begin, as always, uh, with our scripture reading. Um, we start with the book of Psalms, since this is a study that we're doing on Psalms, chapter 27 in particular. And we are starting, as always, with verse one, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore, will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me when thou saidest seek my face my heart said unto thee thy face lord will i see hide not thy face far from me put not thy servant away in anger thou hast been my help leave me not neither forsake me O god of my salvation i'll add one more verse onto it when my father and my mother forsake me then the lord will take me up. May the Lord, as always, grant a blessing to those that not only hear, but do his word. We thank the Lord for his word. His word is where we want to be found, okay? Um, we are in a study <clears throat> talking about finding God, and as I've said before, it's really less about us, about about um, us finding God, so to speak. And it's really more about the God who lets us find him, amen. There, there are many phrasings and things that we just kind of use and they've kind of become um, standard. Um, but when we talk about, and, and, and it's not uncommon to hear people say, well, you know, when, you know, when I found, you know, when I found the Lord, it's sometimes it can kind of sound as if God was lost. God is not lost. God has never been lost. God is always, he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. So, you know, God is, God is not, is, is not, is not lost. Um, but, for as much as God is not lost, there are times and there are situations, circumstances where though he's always present yet and still we're unable to, to find him. That simply means that there are times when we are unable to recognize the presence or the moving of God. Okay, so we don't know how he's moving in a season. We don't necessarily know how he's uh, what what's going on in, in in a given circumstance. Doesn't mean God is checked out or uh, or is is just completely off the grid. No, but there are times where your the faculties that God has given us in order to perceive him, in order for us to see or recognize is probably a better way his movements and his goings and his comings. There are times when those faculties um, are restricted, 
okay? And um, from seeing or perceiving God, all right? And so uh, almost as if something has, has been shrouded. So we have a situation where when we finally, when the shroud lifts, under um and regardless of the circumstances and we talked last week the circumstances can be good or the circumstances can be bad we did talk a little bit about that but when the circumstances changes and we are un and we are finally able um to to see god again it, it it's it's because god has allowed us to 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 perceive him again or to recognize him again so as you can see it's not so much that we find God because he's lost, but actually it's more along the lines of we're talking about the God who lets us find him. There are times where God pulls back the wool or the curtain, so to speak, from our eyes. And then all of a sudden, this great big God who's never been gone in the first place has always been, he's always been there. But you went through a period where you could not recognize him. All of a sudden, that period is over. And now we're able to recognize God. God. Now that's God's doing. That's what God allows. And we talked about that that happens in, um, in the positive and that happens um, in the negative. Now, last week, um, this is the fourth lesson in this um, series. Um, last week, we were, we looked at verse nine says, hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. We already talked about that. Um, then we got into and really got into last week, um, thou hast been my help. Amen. Thou hast been my help. Look at Psalms 121 um, verses one through three. Psalms 121 verses one through three. Amen. Amen. David says, thou hast been my help. And we learned that he stopped and he recognized that phrase in the middle, that part in the middle of, of verse number uh, verse number nine reveals something. Okay. It reveals now David is asking God, Lord, don't, don't, don't hide from me. Don't, don't conceal yourself from me. And we learned a lot of and we learned about that. Okay. Because we know that hiding means to prevent something, including oneself from being discovered. So you purposely conceal yourself. And this is what God does at times. Okay. And then when the word face, when we couple that word, because remember, David said, hide not thy face far from me. Well, when you take hide and you couple it with the word face, okay? And for those of you who did not know this, the word hiding, that that particular phrase of that word hide, that means to prevent something, um, including one's self from being discovered, because there are different types of um, different um, words for hide in the scripture. But this particular one is used across the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's used approximately about 171 times. This particular rendering of the word hide is used. Face, on the other hand, um, this particular rendering of the word face is not used in the New Testament. Okay. This one is only used, you only find this particular rendering of faith, um, or with this particular definition, you find this one about 52 times and you only find this throughout the old testament okay amen amen um and faith simply means the whole being okay the um um the face represents not your actual not a person's actual face okay but face is used to represent the the total being or the ability of that person 
to perceive anything. So in other words, when you hide from the face of someone, and we gave this, and I'll just do this really quickly again, when you hide from the face, it literally means that you are, you're, you're totally off the radar. You are, un, you're, you're, you, you cannot be perceived in any way. There no, not just you naturally, but every extension of you. And I, and we gave the example of a king who would have, who, um, who would have a, a, um, uh, um, soldiers and an army and a this and, and ambassadors and so on and so forth. You could even take it into modern day here in, we're in America here. And so we've got a, a president, right. And we've got the federal government and we have all of these different arms and branches of the government and all these different things. We've got police and we've got all of these, um, and we've got army and military, all of these different things. If you were hidden, let's say from the face of the president, let's just put it that way. All right. And uh, if you were hidden from the face of the president or you were hidden from the face of the government, that would mean that every faculty that the president or the government has in order to find somebody, okay, you are completely off the grid. You are completely hidden. Just, uh, just you, you cannot be found under any circumstance, okay? And so David said, hide not thy face far from me. Okay. And we talked about how there are times where, 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 where God hides. We also said that, that David said, put not thy servant away in anger, which really represented and talked about him understanding. It really spoke to the, 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 the circumstances under which, okay, God would hide. He calls this out specifically. Why? Because when God hides, we learned there is a positive time when God hides and there is a negative time. The negative, the positive side is, is when God is hiding or prevents you from finding him or from being able to really feel his presence. And that's really the way it kind of, it kind of manifests, but he does that for the purpose of growing your faith. So in other words, you've been learning the word, you've been studying the word, you've been in the word, you've been praying, you've been doing what you are supposed to do. And now guess what? Test time comes. It's not strange. Think of it just like school. You in school, you got your lesson, you're studying your subject, right? And as you go through the subject and as you internalize the information and you spend time with your homework and, in your, and, and, and all of those things, you're studying those things, then eventually test time comes. And when test time comes, what happens? You've got to use the things that you learn. Now, the test is not there, <laughs> theoretically. The test is not there, at least in this world, theoretically is what I mean. It's not there to, to hurt you, but it's there to gauge and help you understand where you are. It's to help you see what I'm weak on. What do I need work in? Where, you know, how well did I do in this? How, how much do I understand the subject? Do I totally comprehend what is going on? Am I getting or am I grasping what I am learning? That type of testing is not to hurt you. It's to help you, to show you and expose you to the areas where you are weak and where you need to improve. Things don't all, and it, now if you've totally mastered the subject, then the test is going to reveal that you are ready for the next level, okay? You're ready to graduate from that. If not, the test is gonna reveal that you got a few things to work on and that's okay, and that's okay. That's the positive side when God hides. And David says, hide not thy face far from me. And he says, put 
not thy servant away in anger. So he adds context to the type of hiding that he doesn't want God to do. He doesn't call out God hiding in during for the positive sense. Why? Because he knows that's necessary. That's not even brought out. Okay. He doesn't tell in this scripture, he doesn't say God don't hide at all. No, he just simply says, don't put that, don't hide and, and put not thy servant away. Amen. In anger. Okay. So God, I don't want you to, when he says anger, he brings in that it's not the positive type of hiding that David is requesting God not to do. It's when God hides in the negative sense. That's what he was talking about. Okay. And so we learned all of that. Um, um, and, and when we move from that, as we move down past that, we get to the phrase where he says, thou hast been my help. Now, when he adds that phrase coupled on to the, the rest of the phrase that came before it, the hide not thy face and put not thy servant away in anger, all of these different things. Okay. What he does right here is, is that he takes a moment while he's requesting God. He takes a moment in the middle of his request to acknowledge God and all that God has done. He says, thou has been my help. David knows he needs God and he is requesting something from God, but he takes time out to stop and recognize what God has already done. Psalms 121 Verses one through three says this, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Amen. 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 David says, thou has been my help. In the middle of requesting something, he takes time to recognize God. And I want to ask the question to somebody who will listen to this. I don't know when you'll listen to it or where in the world you'll be listening to it. I understand that you got needs. You need God to do this and you need God to do that. So do I. We all need God to do something for us. But I want to encourage you to take a page from David. I want to encourage you to take some notes regarding what David actually did. I know that you have needs and, and more so than I know, God knows that you have needs. He knows that I have needs, but don't get so caught up in what you need that you lose the ability to take time out, even in the middle of hurting. Even in the middle of things going wrong, in the middle of things not working out, make sure that you don't get so caught up in what's going on in what you actually need, no matter how legitimate it is, that you lose and miss your opportunities to tell God thank you, to acknowledge God for all that he's done for you. See, listen, I, there are times where I'm in need. I need God to do something for me right now. But regardless of what I need God to do for me right now, there's no time like the present to stop and pause, even if it's in the middle of me asking God to do something. There's no time like the present, amen, to stop and pause and tell God thank you, to recognize God for who he is, 
for what he's been in your life. Many of us listening to that will listen to this. You on the Lord's side now. Amen. Amen. I praise God for that. But you wasn't always on the Lord's side. There was a time where you walked according to the pattern of this world. You followed the, the, the edicts and, and, and the dictation of the enemy. And you followed that. With a smile on your face, doing what you wanted to do. And all the while, you were encouraging, you were incurring the wrath of God. You were storing up wrath is what you were doing. Earning your own demise. Yet God was patient with you. God was patient with me. And while I was treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath, God had mercy. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. It means when you wasn't thinking about it, when you, wasn't even, when you weren't even concerned and you were not even aware of the total implications of your doing, you were not aware that you were on your way to hell. You, didn't, you just didn't get it. I just didn't get it. God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ, was thinking about you and your well-being when that was the furthest thing from your mind and my mind. I just wasn't concerned. I was just all about me. I was just taking care of me. But all the while I was just taking, thinking I was just taking care of me and thinking I was, I was succeeding, <laughs> failing all along. It was God that was taking care of me. And you know what? It was God that's been taking care of you. And, and no matter who you are, no matter where you are, when you listen to this, I know that your past might not be ideal. And I know that there might be a lot of shame with it. A lot of regret for some of the things that you've done, things that you've been a part of. I know that. I know that I've had, I have the same thing. But although you have all of those things, God didn't throw you away. He did not abandon you, and he didn't leave you on the side of the road. He could have. This is true. But he didn't. Because he saw something in you that at the time you couldn't see in yourself. And long after, everybody else turned the lights out and anyone else thought that it was over as concerning you, God kept the porch light on. Because he knew the date and he knew the time that you and I were going to get our heads screwed on straight. And for the first time, he knew that we were going to be receptive and respond to the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, the way we're supposed to. So he didn't throw you away. He didn't throw me away. He kept the porch light on. He held it down for you when you could not hold it down for yourself while you was missing everything else, just missing in action in every way. Not realizing the damage that may have been caused to family and friends and loved ones all behind, all behind our own actions and different things. God was holding it down. You know why? Because he saw a day. He knew the date and he knew the time. 
when you was going to get it together. And those failures, those faults, those things that you are ashamed of, that you regret, <laughs> he knew that those things were going to become the fuel for your testimony. He knew that those things were going to be the very thing that were going to make you the best Christian, the best saint possible that you can be. He knew it. And I know it hurts to look back at some of these things and it don't feel good and all these different things, but listen, hold your head up high, not in arrogance and not in pride, but in adoration and praise to God. And thank God with everything you got for what he's delivered you from. Don't lose sight of your past. Don't get hung up on it. Don't let the devil hijack it and cause you and, and you live in a state of guilt. No, no, no. You got to look at that. And that's supposed to be your fuel. Those are the logs that you put on the fire of praise and worship. That's what you burn to send up that fresh incense, that sweet smelling savor before the Lord. You burn the logs of your disappointments and your hurt and your shame and everything else that fell apart. You burn that on the altar. You burn all of that. And not so much that you burn it on the altar, but it is the fuel. It is the fire underneath the altar. Because the sacrifice that goes on the altar metaphorically is you and I. Why? Because God wants what? A living sacrifice. But the fire, the fuel, the determination to praise God with everything that you got has to be fueled by a recognizing that God brought you from a mighty long way. And in order for that to do for that to happen, you have to keep a healthy perspective of your past, even if you're not proud of it. Amen. Amen. Somebody needs to probably need to hear that somewhere in the world today. And so we, we want to make sure that you have that, you have that in there. Nevertheless, David said, thou, thou has been my help. Help comes from the Lord. And that's something that you got to make sure that you understand. Now, notice something here. So help comes from the Lord. Okay. Now, in not only does help come from the Lord. We learned that in Psalms 121, we looked at verses one through three. So help comes from the Lord. But for as much as you know that help comes from the Lord, you know what you equally got to know? You got to know that he's a God that will help you. We know help comes from him, but you got to know that he wants to help you. Ecclesiasticus chapter two, verses five through eight says this, for gold is tried in the fire and acceptable men in the furnace of adversity believe in him and he will help thee order thy way aright and trust in him ye that fear the lord wait for his mercy and go not aside lest ye fall ye that fear the lord believe him and your reward shall not fail i'm going back to verse 6 believe in him and he will help thee. Look at Isaiah 41 and 13. 
Isaiah 41 and 13. That last one was Ecclesiasticus or the book of Sarah. This is one of your deuterocanonical books. Amen. So some of you may not necessarily have had access to that, but you should all have access to this one here, Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. I will help thee. Glory to God. Glory to God. And here's another deuterocanical book. The Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 18, says this. For if the just man be the son of God, he will help him and deliver him from the hand of his enemies. Meaning that if you belong to God, if you're on the Lord's side, it's one thing you can count on. You can count on God helping you. I know it gets tough sometimes. I know it gets difficult sometimes. I've experienced that. You've experienced more than your fair share of that. And guess what? We still got some days where we're going to experience that. But I just gave you three scripture sets that tell you this, that God will help you. I told you first, your help comes from the Lord. I, Psalms 121, one through three, made that plain, that help comes from the Lord. And the other scriptures, Ecclesiastes 2, 5 through 8, Isaiah 41, 13, and Wisdom of Solomon 2 and 18, all of those scriptures tell us what? They tell us that not only does help come from the Lord, but the Lord is willing to help you. Don't you listen to the lie of the enemy when he tries to sell the trash that says that God is not listening God does not care and that God does is not going to do anything about. Don't you listen. Listen, I'm going to tell you this. But I told you before and I am going to tell you again. The devil is a liar. He has no incentive to tell you the truth. He has no reason to tell you the truth. So he is not going to tell you the truth. He is going to lie, lie, lie. The Lord told us very plainly that he is the father of lies. And when he lies, he's speaking of himself. In other words, he is talking what comes out of him. He's not passing on a lie that he heard from somebody else. No, the devil is architecting. He is manufacturing lies and he is speaking of himself and he is lying to you. Because he wants you to get tired on the way and he wants you to give up. But the word of God says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The devil knows that if you can just hold on for a little while, he knows that God is going to renew your strength. He knows that God is going to lift you up. He knows all of these things. So he don't want that to happen. No, he doesn't want that to happen. So what is he going to do in order to stop it? Well, the devil's going to do what the devil does. And what does the devil do? He is a liar. So he's going to lie, going to try to make you think because a little time has passed since you prayed on God. Newsflash, there ain't no scripture in the Bible that tells you that God has to answer you as soon as you call on it. No, it, there just ain't no scripture to tell you that. God has never put himself on the hook to provide that service. You got to wait on God. 
And sometimes waiting on God means you're going to tarry for a little while. You are going to put some time in. But the word teaches that the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. Glory to God. Glory to God. Nobody wants to wait, but my friend, you got to wait on when it comes to God sometimes. And if you need some incentive in order to wait on God, then go back and replay the tape about what God has done for you. God has been faithful. God has been merciful. And God held the porch light on for you. He held it down for you. So how are you going to skip out on God? How am I going to skip out on God? That's not fair. That's not right. And such behavior shouldn't be attached to us if we are children of God. God can wait on us, but we can't wait on him. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Don't hold God to unreal expectations. Many of you who will listen to this, you, it's, it's time to level set your expectations of God. You got too much Mickey Mouse and Candyland and rose-colored glasses on when it comes to the promises of God. You think God is just promising you everything. God ain't promising you everything. God has promised you some things. And I invite you to go back and refamiliarize yourself with that. Some of the things that we hold God to and decide that if he don't do it, I'm going to abandon God and I'm not, I'm going to walk away and I'm going to go back to my life of this and my life of that because it was this, that, and the other, whatever. When was your life better before without God? While you were partying and having a good time in this world, all the while you were on your way to hell, what kind of good time is that really? Getting the best that the world has to offer, which is nothing. All the while you're incurring the worst that God has to offer, which is hell. You really wanted that? And you really want what the world has that bad that you are willing to trade today for eternity in hell? That wasn't no good time. That was, again, the devil lying to you. I told you he's a liar. lied so good I had you thinking you was having fun in the world you wasn't having no fun it was an illusion it was the lie the charade that the devil puts in place precisely for the purpose of keeping you numb and oblivious to what's going on it's the lie he tells you so that you will stay on the boat all the while the ship is sinking. It's the ridiculous picture he sold to you telling you that you couldn't live without it. All the while, you couldn't see that the plane you're traveling on, the engines are on fire and it's headed into a nosedive. You're getting ready to crash. So he played the music a little bit louder.
cause the drugs and the alcohol to give a, to have to, to give you a little bit more oomph and pizzazz. Cause it to be a little more mind blowing, world altering. In other words, <laughs> an awesome high, so to speak. You wanted you caught up on all that stuff. All the while you couldn't see that everything around you was falling apart, including you. Devil is a liar. Stop giving him power over you because God certainly didn't give the devil power over you. So why are you relinquishing your authority to the enemy? God has given you the power to say, get thee behind me, Satan, and for you to keep moving. But the devil wants you so caught up on your past that you feel so guilty and so ashamed of what you've done and where you come from that you tell yourself, well, you know what? Maybe I just deserve all of it. Hold on. Let me tell you something. The devil don't own you. And though he wants to lie and make you think that he has a right to you, he don't have a right to nothing. The only thing he got a right to is to go to hell, which is where he's going. Difference is, is he don't have no second chance, but you do. He's one and done. Him and all his band of merry, ridiculous angels, they gone, they're done. They just trying to get as many people to go with them as they can. That's why he acting up more so than ever. You know, his time is short. Devil know he don't got time to act, to do this, <laughs> to do this forever. He know that. Unless you think that you're going to be in hell, that hell is going to be the devil's kingdom. Let me explain something to you. Hell is not the devil's kingdom. That's ridiculous Hollywood. Try to make it look like that, 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 that hell is where the devil rules. Let me explain something to you. Hell is where the devil going to burn. And if you don't repent of your sins, if you don't get baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost, you're going to burn right there next to him. Just a couple of marshmallows, burnt, crispy. Nobody want it. But that's where you're going to go. You're going to be right in there with him, churning and burning. Oh, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> he ain't going to be tormenting you. He's going to be in jet. He's going to be in as much torment as you. He's going to have his own flames of fire to deal with. Ain't going to be like, no, like it's a, a kingdom or something. And then he's going to be ruling. He ain't going to be ruling nothing. He's going to be getting burned. And all those that choose this world and not God while they have the chance. God's not going to force you to do it. Not making nobody do anything. God wants service and allegiance because you choose it. He loves you. He went to the cross for you to give you an opportunity. And he did it because he loved you, not because he had to. So he wants your service to be because you want to, not because you have to. God didn't make robots. 
So he doesn't want a robotic response from you. He wants you to love him for him. In the garden, what did God create when he created Adam and Eve? Do you realize what he did? He created family. Him, the father, and Adam and Eve, the children. He created family, but sin came in and tore that up. But God wanted the family that he created. So he went to the cross, what? To save it. Do you not know what the Bible is? It's a record of the greatest love story there is of a father who risked it all to save his children. Some of you have grown up without a physical father. So the concept of a father risking it all is a bit foreign to you. Nevertheless, this is what it is. You're used to mom risking and doing what it is. And so you have, many of you have just that knowledge and that's good. But not even mom got anything on God Almighty because God Almighty did for you what mom couldn't do. Even if she would have been willing to do it, she couldn't have done it. Because she was a sinner just like you. In need of saving, just like you. I said it before, but the Bible says, <laughs> while we were yet in sin, Christ died. Doing what you and I couldn't do. And what many of us were oblivious to that we didn't even need it done. But that's how good God is. That's how good God is. Where are you trying to get your help from today? The word of God has just told us that God is our help. It tells us that help comes from him. And it tells, and we just learned that God, not only does it come from God, but he's willing to help you. So what's the holdup? What's the problem? Why are you stuck and can't get into gear and get about the business of renouncing your sin and taking up the cross? Why are you having such a hard time Letting go of what God has already told you he's willing to let. He said, I will help you. Let's review that again. I think you need to, I, I think this is just good to know. In Ecclesiasticus, chapter two, five through eight. For gold is tried in the fire and acceptable men in the furnace of adversity. That means you're going to go through things just like gold goes through a process in order to purify it. Remember, the word says the trying of your faith is more precious than gold. This scripture here in Ecclesiasticus goes with that scripture. Notice verse six, believe in him and he will help thee. Believe in him and he will help thee. What is he saying here? That your faith has value. 
Keep the faith. And he'll help you. Look at Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. So in the first scripture, he says, believe. He says, if you have faith, if you will just believe, I will help you. In Isaiah, he's telling you, don't be afraid because I'll help you. So if fear and torment and all of these things and terror is trying to seize your heart, he's saying, don't let it have its way with you. Why? Because I'll be there to help you. Do you I, hope, do you, I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. The first one he tells you, be, keep it that, that, you're, that you're not wasting your time by believing in him. He says, I'll help you. Then he says, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because I'll help you. And then the wisdom of Solomon says, for if the just man be the son of God, he will help him and deliver him from the hand of his enemy. He says, if, you're, if the enemy is surrounding you, all the while you belong to me, I will help you. Do you see the different circumstances? If you just believe, belief will cause God to help you. When terror and fear try to intimidate you, he reminds you that you won't be alone and that he'll help you. And if the enemy is surrounding you, giving you all kinds of grief, seeming like they just roadblock after roadblock, all the while, you on the Lord's side, brother or sister, just wait on him because he's going to come to see about you. Amen. Amen. He says, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Leave me not, neither forsake me. Now, the word forsake is, is used, this one, this rendering is used about 144 times in the Bible, this particular rendering of the word forsake. There are other renderings of the word, okay? And, but this, when we say this particular word, the words are different as you move from the Hebrew to the Greek, okay? The words are different, but what we're talking about is the this particular meaning. So it may be pronounced different or it's spelled, it is obviously pronounced different, it spells different. The Greek um, rendering of this particular word um, forsake, it differ from the Hebrew rendering of this word forsake, but this is the type of forsake that carries the meaning of to abandon, okay? And or to forsake or when we talk means to leave behind. And here's something even inch more interesting. It means to leave fallow. F-A-L-L-O-W, fallow. So the word forsake, this rendering of the word forsake, remember David says, David has just got done saying, leave me not, 
neither forsake me. Neither forsake me. And that forsake means to abandon or to leave behind or to leave something fallow. Now, when we say to abandon and leave behind, we kind of get that. That adds certain, we, 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 can't, we can easily kind of conceptualize that. Where it gets interesting is when we get to the other meaning of this particular word, which means to leave fallow, because that's more of an agricultural term, okay? It, fallow refers to the, what is known as fallow ground. Now, some of you may have heard that term before, okay? And especially if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible, you would have no doubt have come across that um, at some point if you, are, if you, if you have really been um, applying yourself to the reading of the word, then you more than likely may have come across some scriptures that talk about fallow, fallow ground, okay? You may have also just simply heard of the term fallow ground. Now, let's talk about what that is. Fallow ground is usually um, cultivated land, okay? So it's land that's, that's worked, okay? It's usually cultivated land that is allowed to lie idle or dormant during the growing season, okay? Okay, fallow ground means, is, is um, uh, another word, um, it, it, it's, it's fallow ground is plowed land, okay? So land that has been plowed, that's what we mean by cultivated, okay? It's, it, it's been plowed, okay? But the state, but it refers to this land that although it's been cultivated, though it's, it's been plowed, okay? The state or it, it, the, the fact that it's fallow, the ground is fallow, refers to the state or period of being, uh, of, 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 of of being idle during the growing season. So in other words, so in other words, nothing is planted on it. It's tilled, it's worked to some degree, but nothing is done with it. Nothing gets planted, okay? They don't do anything to the land. The land is left alone. So it's the state or period of being, um, the state or the period of being fallow um, is used typically to help with destroying the plants that you don't want. So in other words, a ground, when it's tilled and it's worked up that way, but then it's left that way, it helps or it works to, it is effective in destroying weeds. And that's what I mean by plants that you don't want, okay? In destroying weeds, it's, 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 it's left. It ground, it, the, the, the ground has been tilled, turned over, but the land is without sowing. So no one's planted seeds in it. Okay. David says in our scripture, don't forsake me. He says, neither forsake me. Now, Jeremiah chapter four, verses three says this. Amen. But thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. So among thorns would be weeds and those things, okay? He says, break up your fallow ground. 
and so not among thorns. Fallow ground can be tilled, but it can also be just ground that has not been tilled and just sits. If you've ever looked and um, um, at the ground when it's very hot, have you ever seen um, land that's very hot to where the ground begins to kind of crack? It looks like little plates, so to speak. And when you look at the ground, it looks kind of broken and um, and almost like just arid and desolate or whatnot. But sometimes mud will kind of dry like that and you will take a look at it. And if you've ever seen, you know, you know, um, you know, an area that was perhaps very wet, okay, um, during the year, but then the summer comes and it dries completely out and nobody does anything with it. Nobody goes to it. Nobody gets on it. And as the summer wanes on and it gets hotter and hotter, you'll notice that the ground begins to um, crust. It's almost like a crack, like a, like a, uh, it begins, it begins to crack and, and it looks like little plates are in that. That's also fallow ground. That's, that's fallow ground. And that's the type of ground that he's, that the writer, that Jeremiah is saying, break up your fallow ground. Now, the thing that you need to understand about fallow ground, whether it's the kind that has been tilled and has been allowed to sit, or it is the kind that has not been tilled and has just been sitting there forever, fallow ground is ground that does not have any, no one's planted anything, okay? It, the land has been allowed to sit. Now, there are times where this, it serves a purpose. And when the Bible talks about fallow ground, it talks about it, it's dealing with it from the negative and a positive sense. So you need to understand something. When a ground is left fallow or a farmland is left fallow, so to speak, okay? When it is left fallow, meaning that it's turned over, but no one has sown anything. Many times that is a technique. I already told you one to get rid of weeds that would grow in there, okay? Because you're turning, every, you're turning everything over and you're not sowing it. So that means you're not watering it. You're not doing, you're not, you're not doing anything with the land. The land is being allowed to sit. To, to, to just sit. Well, land does need to actually do that. Okay. Especially if you are, if you're far, you're growing anything, if, if you know anything about agriculture, agriculture, then you know that the more that you grow in a land, on a land, the, the, the plants that grow pull the nutrients out of the dirt, out of the soil. Okay. And so if you consecutively continuously grow after season, after season, after season, after season with no breaks, in between at all, meaning that there are no periods where you allow the land to just sit for a season, so to speak, then what will happen is, is that all of the growing will have stripped all of the minerals and everything that is necessary for you to have a good harvest and get a good, you know, um, batch of crops. Because the, 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 the growing season takes something out of the soil. So there are times where the soil has to be left fallow. Why? Because when you leave the land alone or when it's left alone dormant, it allows the minerals and the vitamins and the, whatever the plants need, it allows the land to be revitalized. This is so much so that even in scripture, God even told, commanded the children of Israel that there are times where you don't sow the land, you leave it alone. So it's a biblical, you know, even God instructed them to, 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 to do this. So there is a time where the land is left fallow. But when it's left fallow in the positive sense, it's left for the purpose 
of the nutrients and the minerals to be revitalized within the soil. Why? So that when something is planted, a new crop is planted, the crop or the seed has the nutrients it needs to grow up strong. But before that can happen, the land's got to sit dormant for a while. That's the positive side. Amen. But David says in our scripture, leave me not, neither forsake me. Amen. 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 So David is addressing it from the negative perspective. Fallow ground is ground where no seed is planted. It's left alone. In the negative sense, then what that would mean or what that represents is the period of time where because of sin and disobedience, God says, I'm not telling you anything else. Because remember, the word of God is the seed. And fallow ground is ground where there's no seed. So David says, leave me not, neither forsake me. Don't leave me fallow. In other words, don't leave me without your word. Don't leave me without a deposit of your word into the ground that has been turned over or the ground that has been left alone. In this case, it's more akin to the ground that is being referenced in Jeremiah. Amen. Chapter four, verse three, for thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Israel, break up your fallow ground. He said, this is the ground that has not been tilled over. It's the ground that has been allowed to become crusty, to become dry and arid, and it's begun to crack. And anybody knows that when you, if you're going to plant a crop, you can't plant a crop in dry, crusted ground. You've got to get your machinery or whatever it is. You've got to turn the soil over so that it's ready to receive what? The seed. Amen. 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 So David says, leave me not. Don't abandon me. Don't walk away. Neither forsake me. When he says neither forsake me, what he was saying is it's bad enough, oh God, if you just walk away, but it's even worse if you don't talk to me. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Do you not understand that all things that exist were brought into the existence by the spoken word of God? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word. What was God? I can't live without the word. You can't live without the word. You can't make it without the word. And what David is saying is don't leave me without your word. Don't leave me. Don't forsake me. Don't leave me fallow. Don't leave me as ground without the word. I need the word. I need the word. I need the word. Do you need the word this morning? I hope you do. I hope you do because I can't live without it. I can't breathe without it. I can't be without it. I can't go without it. And I don't want to go without it. And I don't want to be without it. Well, I want to be where God is, wherever he is. I want to be right there. Is that your heart's desire? Have you broken up your fallow ground? 
Have you become arid and dry in your life? Hard and stubborn? Relentless in doing your own thing? Or have you submitted to God? Break up your fallow ground is what Jeremiah 4 and 3 tells you. And he says, and sow not among thorns. Break up the fallow ground. And sow not among thorns. That means don't sow the word don't in, um, amongst weeds. Break up your fallow ground means get your heart ready. Break up the stubbornness. Break up the ground of shame. Break up the ground of disappointment. Break up the ground of guilt. Because nothing but weeds grow there. The land that is your heart has got to be turned over. Stop trying to sow the word amongst bad behavior. What does that mean? That means stop trying to do a little bit of God stuff all the while you're trying to hold on to the worldly actions. No man can serve two masters. Either he's going to love the one or hate the other. Listen, you got to choose. Show not among thorns. Stop trying to sow holiness with unholiness. It ain't going to work. Stop trying to walk in the world and walk in the church. It ain't going to work. You got to choose. You cannot eat, the Bible says, at the, listen. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You got to choose. Joshua said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. You got to choose. David said, leave me not, neither forsake me. Lord, don't just abandon me. Don't just, don't, Lord, that's, what, that's bad enough. But if you stop talking to me, because it's your word that lifts up bowed down heads, it's your word that heals us when we're sick, it's your word that makes ways out of no way, it's your word that brings the lost back to you, it's your word that restores fellowship, it's your word that restores marriages, it's your word, God, it's your word, it's your word, it is your word, God, whatever you do, don't stop talking to me. And you got to have that. Well, brothers and sisters, I think that's all the time that we have for today. God bless you today, and we'll be back at it next week. Until then, have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday morning. God bless you. I'll stop the recording here.